Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. What could have been the first major strike of this year has resulted in a tentative contract for a UAW local in Indiana. And you'll hear what the workers now have to say. Today on the show, the latest from the American Legion and the Alliance for Retired Americans. Welcome to the Friday, January 19th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Jeff Stouffer will be our first guest on the show today. He serves as the Media and Communications Division Director for the American Legion. Complete updates 24-7. You can go to legion.org, and this is the time where we preview the next month's edition. Next month is Black History Month, and right on the cover of the magazine, I got my copy last night, there's a picture of Joe Lewis, fighter for America and equality. You know, more than 16 million men and women raised their right hands and swore an oath of enlistment into the U.S. military during World War II. And only one, only one, was a world heavyweight boxing champ, and that was Joe Lewis. He was born in Alabama, 1942, in his late teenage years. Joe Lewis began boxing with a friend, found he had a particular talent for the sport, and by 1934, he had won 50 of 54 amateur fights and had his sights set on going pro. He fought his first professional match July 4th, 1934, and won with a knockout in the first round. And his success... Joe Lewis's success quickly made him a hero to all black Americans. And then you fast forward, he signed up and he served in World War II. Sadly, now he did make a lot of money, made like about $5 million during his career, but uh, didn't end well. He owed a lot of money to the uh, IRS and he died in 1981 at the age of 66. So we're going to talk about him. And we're going to talk about uh, Black History Month. Did you know that black Americans have served in every military conflict in America's history? Probably didn't know that. So Jeff is going to touch on that. Another uh, story we're going to get into is the value of vet centers. They are highly regarded by former service members. And they're, they're, they're basically one-stop counseling centers. And here's the problem. They don't have enough staff. And right now they have a 16% vacancy rate. And uh, they're scrambling for money. And we're going to talk about that. The American Legion is currently pushing Congress to approve more vet centers because there is a need, especially uh, post-9-11 vets. And speaking of which, we're going to talk about the GI Bill. Because the uh, the Legion is making a push right now for the younger vets to take advantage of this, and this is this is phenomenal. Um, Nineteen forty four, 
Congress passed and the president then, FDR, signed into law the Servicemen's Readjustment Act. And the American Legion was the big driver of this. Nearly 8 million veterans took advantage of that first GI Bill's offer of tuition-free college, credited as one of the most important socioeconomic developments in U.S. history. That kind of fostered the, uh, the baby boom right after uh, World War II. And what they've done, and this was about maybe 15 years ago, I think it was like 2008, they updated it. And uh, right now, the Legion is reaching out to younger vets saying, hey, you know what? It's a good program here. Take advantage of it. Norm Warnett will be uh, joining us later in the show. He's actually filling in for Rich Fiesta on behalf of the Alliance for Retired Americans. Now, Norm is the president of the Ohio Alliance, and one of the things he's going to talk about is collecting signatures for a new independent redistricting commission amendment, which they hope will be on the November ballot in the state of Ohio, and that's going to deal with the the gerrymandering that's been going on in the state of Ohio for a long time. We're also going to get into uh, Social Security. There was a debate, this was uh, about two weeks ago, that brought new attention to Republican presidential hopeful Nikki Haley's statements about cutting Social Security and Medicare. Also, Ron DeSantis' previous votes to slash the programs while he served in the U.S. House. Now, Haley, who's the former governor of South Carolina, has been the most vocal of all the Republican candidates, pretty much declaring at the debate that she, if she becomes president, she plans to raise the retirement age at which younger Americans, such as those in their 20s, can become eligible for Social Security benefits. I'm here like 70, 69, 70. Right now, the uh, the age is 66. And DeSantis, now he's backtracking away from proposing changes to Social Security, but <laughs> this is all in flux right now. Bottom line, there's a lot of people in Congress, and this is, goes all the way back to 1935 when Social Security began. They don't like it. They call it socialism. They said, if you can't save for retirement, that's your problem. And there's many in Congress, elected members of Congress, who feel that way. So uh, Norm Warnett will be our, uh, our second guest right here on America's Workforce. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. Got to salute the United Auto Workers. I'm telling you, they are on a roll. After mounting the first major strike threat of this year, UAW local 933 members at the Allison Transmission Plant, this is in Indianapolis, Indiana, they got a new deal. The deal includes an end to wage tiers, resulting in up to, you ready for this? One hundred and fifty percent wage increases for many workers. Let me repeat that. One hundred and fifty percent wage increases for many workers at local nine thirty three. Now, the union's last contract with the company expired November, November fourteenth of last year, and local nine thirty three members resoundedly rejected the company's previous offer a couple of weeks later because it failed to address workers' core demands. So, 
Local leaders, well, they prepared the workers for a potential strike, and the workers were ready to walk the picket line as long as it took to win an equitable contract. Well, they got a tentative deal. And so many workers are saying, yeah, I want to talk about this. So the UAW put together a video. Let's listen here on America's Workforce. Nothing like this has happened in Allison's history. You know, like, wow, this is amazing. Fantastic. Best thing about this, we make no concessions. None whatsoever. That's absolutely amazing. We were listed as possibly the first big UAW strike of the year. The last contract expired November 14th, and then here we are a month and a half later. I think they were stalling. I think they always had a better offer. So we were all gung-ho, like, yeah, we're going on strike. If we don't get the demands we want, the company just got kind of worried. And I knew that that strike would have shut down several OEMs. So they had to come back with something that was at least decent for us to vote on. We set our demands on the table. And we said, and this will conclude negotiations. A lot of us thought that sometime during that day, we were going to be walking out. 15, 20 minutes later, management came back and they gave us what we wanted. Voted up and guess what? We can start a new chapter at Allison Transmission. The UAW stands for United and Win. Once again, that video is posted on the UAW website. Just go to uaw.org. And I'll tell you, with all the crazy things that are going on, in the world today, isn't it good to hear happy workers? (laughs) I mean, well, yeah, I'd be happy too with 150% pay increase, and that's exactly what they got. Now, the tentative agreement comes on the heels of the UAW's successful stand-up strike at the big three automakers last fall and builds on the union's new approach to collective bargaining, which has inspired workers to demand a better standard of living for themselves. And as we have reported here on the show, the target for the UAW is all the non-union plants in the South. And right now they're zeroing in on a Mercedes-Benz plant in the state of Alabama, and they're making some inroads on that. So we'll we'll keep you posted. But do check out that video, uaw.org. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Jeff Stouffer. On behalf of the American Legion, this is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Liuna at liuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at CWA-Union.org. 
America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at Teamster.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at USW.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be a WF Union podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at OH.AFT.ORG. We had Melissa Cropper on the show a couple of days ago. This was on Tuesday's edition of America's Workforce. And if you missed it, just check out awfpodcast.com, awfpodcast.com. Let's go to Indianapolis right now and join our longtime contributor to America's Workforce, and that would be Mr. Jeffrey Stouffer, who handles all the media for the American Legion. And this is the time where we preview the next month's edition. And that's the edition with Joe Lewis on the cover. We're going to get into him in the second segment. But right now, we want to talk about the value of vet centers. And I'll tell you, this is this is kind of sad, too, because we need these centers. And we have a staffing problem. And that's what we're going to talk about on the show. Jeff, welcome back to uh, to the show. Talk to me about uh, what's going on here. Maybe give us a little history on these vet centers and what uh, what the Legion is doing right now to uh, get more funding for them. Go ahead. Well, thanks, Flash. Yeah, it is uh, It is kind of a, a conundrum because you, you go back to when the vet centers, first of all, what is a vet center? That's a good question. A lot of veterans ask that. They don't, they, they're not overly familiar with it because vet centers, VA vet centers reside just a little bit on the fringe of the VA um, healthcare system. They're integrated, they're part of it, but they're, uh, they're deliberately autonomous in a certain way so that what they do is it is a place where veterans can go and have peer-to-peer group sessions and sessions with counselors you know uh, professional counselors and just other combat veterans a lot of volunteers who you know i i I equate it to almost the the alcoholics anonymous sort of uh, model where where you know that kind of peer-to-peer uh, support is so essential to, to transition issues. And it goes back to um, the late seventies and the American Legion back then commissioned worked with paid for a big study out of Purdue by Dr. Charles Figley um, to kind of assess the condition of what is what was, we knew that what was going on with the Vietnam veterans was, was different from other, uh, you know, war eras. And that's when we literally began the crusade to get PTSD um, <clears throat> acknowledged as a formal diagnosis and looked at a lot of different um, healthcare conditions that le- led to the Agent Orange uh, recognition and the healthcare conditions. So all of these things were kind of coalescing around the Vietnam veteran 
at that time. And VA um, and the American Legion worked together to develop a concept of peer-to-peer counseling that became the VA Vet Centers. And they promoted it heavily. The Legion promoted it heavily. The Legion was very involved with its genesis. And um, have, these have been, Vet Centers have been hugely uh, powerful, just like, kind of like AA is for a lot of people with that. Um, issue and they have been it's 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 a place where a veteran can go and not feel like that they're under the microscope but they're among people who understand very often and high high preference is given to combat veterans to staff those va vet centers and the issue but they also have uh, you know a, a significant number and an important number of of professional um, mental health uh, providers the problem is is over the years the demand has continued to grow and the number of, you know, uh, mental health providers has begun to decrease because uh, there's a lot of vacancies right now. There's over 16%. I think it's higher than that now, actually, of professional mental health counselors in the vet center system. And the the reason is, is there's such demand for uh, mental health uh, care providers in the private sector and even in the VA medical center systems that they're jumping to better jobs and better pay and better um, situations. And again, it's, it's uh, it, what we're, we, we uh, interviewed some people in uh, Utah who, who literally saw their, their uh, North Ogden, Utah vet center basically lost all of its staff and they have, they're waiting for, they've, they've been waiting for a fulfillment of, of staffing so that these veterans who, you know, some of them are, you know, still dealing with or dealing with uh, lingering PTSD from the Vietnam war. And they, and they're, uh, you know, they're at risk for, you know, for really bad mental health issues now. And, you know, of course, we're very concerned as an organization about reducing the suicide rate among veterans. So um, the American Legion has been a big uh, proponent of peer-to-peer um, readjustment therapy, readjustment opportunities. That's what the American Legion was built on. It was veterans serving veterans and being um, among each other because, frankly, there's a trust issue. You know, there's one thing when a veteran comes in and, talks to a clinical psychologist in a clinical setting and tries to, uh, the, cl- the clinician may or may not be really, really great at what they do, but they just won't understand what it's like to have been in combat and what it was like to be, to serve in the military or maybe face the, the face the, uh, the, the problems and complications that come with a military sexual trauma or, you know, a number of different factors. So, um, you know, Legion had a lot to do with sort of creating this footprint. And now we are kind of trumpeting VA and federal government. We need to figure out a way, just like almost every, every other thing in, in VA and, frankly, in industry, is filling those positions, making sure that the, the vet centers are properly staffed, and they're not now, and uh, you know, it's it's kind of goes back to we've talked about this a hundred times. The war for talent is is a thing in America, and it's there are, there just aren't enough people working in these professions to uh, serve all the demand. So and that uh, that's a that's a, that was a you know I uh, we there's a I think 
over 300 brick and mortar vet centers across the country. And there's 80 mobile vet centers, which are big vans that where, where they will travel to go meet with veterans in their community. So it has a, it has a high touch sort of approach and really, really, really effective. And people who use VA vet centers rave about the value of them. So, so, so where are we? As far as funding goes, and I tell you, Jeff, I mean, we we did a conversation just two days ago with uh, one of our sponsors, the American Federation of Government Employees, and this is so similar to what we're talking about now. And that was Jackie Simon, their uh, policy director, and she was referencing a VA medical center in West Palm Beach, Florida, where the nurses are leaving. Why? For the same reason you just talked about they can make a whole lot more money in the private sector. And when I say a whole lot more, thirty to $40,000 more a year. So uh, we have a problem here. We have a major problem here. Uh, the question is, what are we going to do about it? Is, is Congress paying attention to this? Yeah. Uh, well, the VA's uh, Readjustment Counseling Service, which is the arm of VA that oversees vet centers, is, uh, you know, and I, 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 this kind of segues well into what we're going to talk about later with the Student Veterans of America Conference. But at the 2023 Student Veterans of America National Conference, I got to meet and spend some time with Mike Fisher, who is the head of RCS for VA. And he was there to announce to the student veterans who younger veterans are definitely major clients of vet centers who are back from Afghanistan, back from the war on terrorism. And, and he knows the stresses that they face at college when they, when they try to readjust and transition to college. So they're really trying to expand their program, but you can't expand your program if you don't have the people to expand it with. And um, he brought this up and he, and he, and one of the answers that, you know, that they're coming up with that I think is good is that they're uh, work they're They're offering, they just started offering scholarships for student students who are in college who are, uh, to, you know, be pursuing advanced degrees in social work, psychology, mental health counseling, marriage, family counseling, but they're the pay, but, and I mean, full deal scholarships, a good deal for them to get educated in these areas, but then they, they have to make a, just like the military, you have to make a six year commitment to work at a vet center at vet centers after you get out. So that's, that has just begun. So we don't have any data on whether it's working or how much it's working, but um, they're also VA is offering the RCS is offering you know, student loan repayment programs and all kinds of recruitment incentives. You know, those recruitment incentives are all well and good. But again, how are we, how are the, how is VA and, uh, you know, who is tasked with helping our veterans transition to civilian life? How are they going to compete with the big private, um, you know, uh, providers of mental health services that are paying lots more money by and large and also on the on the on the recruitment search too so it's it's a tough uh tough challenge for va and it's a tough challenge for vet centers you mentioned those students too and yeah if we if we can talk a little bit more about that so because there is a gi bill 
that they could take advantage of. And I, I talked about this at the beginning of the show. I mean, since World War II, there was like 8 million vets took advantage of that first version of the GI Bill. Are there a lot of uh, younger folks taking advantage? Do they do they realize the benefits of the of the GI Bill? Uh, is the Legion you know taking a look at that right now? Yeah, I mean, we, that, well, they are. And the post nine eleven GI Bill is an expansion of you know the previous ones because the Harry W. Culmery uh, Forever GI Bill that was passed in twenty seventeen, I think, uh, literally expanded it to allow. Um, so it removed the cap, the window of time that you had to use the GI Bill, and then it also um, expanded it to uh, and it expanded it further to provide education benefits for um, uh, children for dependents. Um, yes, and, and those those students that I met, I, I just was at the Student Veterans of America National Conference in Nashville the first week of, of January, and it was. You know, it, it, that's I mean, those students were there and they were there um, talking about the importance of their GI Bill um, benefits and, and, the, and for, for their generation. But there it was it's more, um, you know, that this generation of veterans is a sure a lot different from those ones who came back from World War Two and even from Vietnam. They have a lot of different interests, a lot of different needs. It's a new generation. And I think the GI Bill is trying to you know, uh, sort of be sort of evolved to better meet those needs. And we fight for that all the time because, you know, one of the big things that we're about is, frankly, the GI Bill, you know, has to be made equal or fair or equivalent to for National Guard and Reserve uh, personnel who also have served in combat and also have served in multiple deployments, as we know, in the global war on terrorism. So that's uh, those are yeah the GI Bill is a big uh, piece of their their world. I think that they 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 are using their GI Bill benefits, but at the at this uh, at this conference, and I've seen this conference grow over the last five six years, especially um, into something more than just a student veteran education you know employment kind of a thing, but it's sort of a, a uh, a gathering of stu- of young veterans, and they're talking about all of the issues that the this kind of this array of issues that are that they're facing in in life, and it includes mental health, and it includes um, you know certainly transition assistance, and it definitely um, includes a need for them to become enrolled and more engaged with their Department of Veterans Affairs services. And I'll tell you that at, at, in Nashville, they had, uh, VA had multiple booths and tables. Almost every, every uh, component of VA had a place at the Student Veterans of America conference this year, more than any year that I've ever seen. And importantly, they had um, uh, claim specialists there and they had three days of claims clinics. So they were getting these post 9-11 veterans to come in and file to enroll in VA and also to begin the filing process for their PACT Act benefits. You remember the PACT Act was the, you know, the conditions that were related to toxic exposure like burn pits. 
in, in the global war on terrorism. And what VA Secretary Dennis McDonough, who was there, and he shared the stage with our national commander, Daniel J. C. Hafer, as during one of the sessions, one of the earlier sessions, and he was basically um, pr- lauding and, and promoting the fact that these student veterans need to get involved with their VA benefits, whether it's their GI Bill. Generally speaking, they're in, they're using the GI Bill, but are they taking advantage of all of the VA, um, you know, benefits and services that are available to them? You know, I think uh, McDonough said, and I quote, he says, you know, they're having a hard time reaching this cohort. Today's young generation, the youngest, and of course, the PACT Act opened up all of these benefits for post 9-11 veterans, healthcare benefits that they never previously had. So there wasn't a great deal of direct, um, you know, benefit for them to, to, to get involved with VA. And McDonough said, you know, in order order to engage them, he says, we've got a lot of work to do, especially with the cohort of veterans that you all represent post 9-11 veterans. He said, quote, younger vets trust VA less than your older counterparts and you're applying for benefits and care at lower rates. And it could be a number of reasons, he said, but, and it could be we lost your trust. He said that at the, at, at, at the, at the session. And I think that the, the secretary, to his credit, was there to work hard to rebuild and build that trust. There was a VA vet center mobile clinic outside the, outside the facility, and many post 9-11 veterans were lined up to go visit the counseling services at the, at the mobile um, vet center, as was the previous year um, in Florida uh, when they had their con- conference that I attended, and I did we did a story on it then. So we've been following this, and the, and the it's just the 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 interest among um, the post nine eleven generation, you know, has a lot of different reasons for maybe not getting so in, engaged with VA, but they 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 they'll want to go file a claim. Get it, get a rating of some kind, even if it's quote unquote zero percent rating, because you never know that later in life some sort of condition may pop up that was exacerbated by exposure to a burn pit or exposure to combat stress or exposure mm-hmm. to one thing or another, and that's when that that initial enrollment yeah. claim can be valuable. Interesting conversation you had with the uh, VA secretary there. Jeff Stouffer joining us on our live line today. Jeff is with the American Legion, serving as the Communications and Media Division Director, legion.org, for complete updates. We'll continue with him. We'll talk about Joe Lewis. That's the cover story in the February issue of the American Legion magazine. Later in the show, Norm Wernett will be joining us on behalf of of the Ohio Alliance for Retired Americans. Back in a few. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. 
The Alliance for American Manufacturing is a nonprofit, nonpartisan partnership formed back in 2007 by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers. Their mission is simple strengthen American manufacturing and create new private sector jobs through smart public policies. Keyword there is smart. We need to be smarter than ever in today's highly competitive world. The Alliance for American Manufacturing believes that an innovative and growing manufacturing base is vital to America's economic and national security, as well as providing good jobs for future generations. Good jobs today, good jobs tomorrow, good American jobs. Find out more at AmericanManufacturing.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The the United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are Steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis. And give us a rating. We always like those five-star ratings, and we're getting a lot of them. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's go back to our live line. Rejoin Jeff Stouffer on behalf of the American Legion. Complete updates at legion.org. We're here to talk about the uh, the upcoming February edition. And February is Black History Month. And right on the cover is a picture of Joe Lewis. And uh, Jeff, I'm glad you uh, pointed out these stats here that black Americans, a lot of people probably are not aware that black Americans served in every military conflict in America's history. In fact, 5,000 black volunteers fought for this country's freedom in the American Revolution. So talk to me about Joe Lewis. It's a great story, and at the same time, it's a sad story because... He died pretty much uh, penniless. He was fighting the IRS. So uh, I'll let you uh, pick it up from there. Go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah Joe Lewis, people don't realize uh, today because it was so long ago that Joe Lewis was a major figure, global figure. Um, foremost, you know, he was he was the long, I think he I think he held the world heavyweight boxing title longer than anyone in history. Um, he won more. Uh, defended that title more than anyone in history. And um, so he was, and remember in the thirties, boxing was king. It was boxing and baseball. Those were the sports that the world was watching. America was watching. So anyway, Joe Lewis was the Michael Jordan of his time. And, and uh, it's really uh, interesting what this, what, what, uh, what the author uh, Callie Martin Schick writes about and touch, explores is what he did as a uh, in the army 
he enlisted. What he did in the army, as he while holding the heavyweight uh, championship, while hold, holding the title, can you imagine that today? Um, he he enlists in the army. He goes into the army and uh, begins. Uh, they give him because he's Joe Lewis. They give him this role where he is, you know, basically an ambassador. He he did have to learn, train, and just like every other every other soldier, he trained to fight and everything like that. But he was mostly doing. Um, uh, recruitment and promotional things, and he did show, you know programs before the troops who adored him. He was adored in a big way because his only early loss in heavyweight boxing was to Max Schmeling from Germany in 1936, and he came back and he knocked out Schmeling in the first round in, in 1938, which was. Is that was sort of a big symbol of America versus the Nazi Germany regime. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so he was he he kind of had this. This is America beating Nazi Germany in 1938, long before we were ever in the war. But yeah. it was sort of a statement. It was kind of like the Olympics, the 36 Olympics. It was a thing where yeah. the world was watching, and and just all the world. So as he goes, he goes into the the army's bureau of public relations, and he and he and he and he traveled with other boxers, other black boxers. But you know, he he also had some conditions, and he wouldn't he wouldn't um, box in front of um, segregated audiences. He demanded that the audiences be integrated, black and white, which was a thing back then. And then you know, he uh, was a. A, of a, a sort of a figure, an idol for not just you know you know young black GIs or young black people in America or the world, but for everyone. And I think that he did a lot to kind of to to bridge the divide between you know black and white America during that time. That's why we feature him in this month's issue of the magazine for Black History Month. You know, I thought it was really interesting that um, when you know, future great baseball star Jackie Robinson got angry and knocked out a white officer's teeth over making racist remarks. Joe Lewis was so powerful. He just makes me, he made a few phone calls and he kept Jackie Robinson from getting court-martialed number one, and then kept him in officer candidate school. And he would go around the country and he would, he was, he's credited with uh, helping to desegregate army buses. And, uh, you know, he would make a points about, you know, what we needed to do to, to, uh, better, you know, desegregate the military and to begin that process. It didn't fully come to fruition until the Korean war. But, um, at the end of the day, Joe Lewis was a voice and, and a voice that leadership listened to and, thought very highly of he spoke he was a he was a quiet guy but when he spoke he spoke with force and it was very interesting that you know his legacy was such that when he died um president reagan you know waived these the some of the rules for um you know qualifications to be buried at arlington national cemetery and i've seen his seen his grave there but he was buried with full military honors on april 21st 1981 and yeah he did uh he won millions over the over his years but he uh didn't personally earn 
as much money as others probably did off of him. And mm-hmm. he got into a little trouble with the IRS, but he did, he didn't, he, he, he wasn't completely destitute or anything like that at the end of his life. But again, one of the, la- one of the later things he did in his life was he, he, uh, um, argued that he he liked golf and he played golf later in life and it was his desire to play in the 1952 uh san diego open and that ultimately and they wouldn't because black people weren't in that uh that 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 kind of a tournament and so the author brings up the point that that resulted in the removal of the bylaw that excluded black golfers from the pga um tour and so ultimately he had an effect not only on the military, not only, just in, you know, it, it was such a huge and complicated matter to, 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 and it still is in America to improve, you know, equality across our nation. But uh, Joe Lewis had a big hand in, in this. He used his, he used his platform not only to, uh, invigorate and inspire the troops but to invigorate and inspire change so that's why we featured him in the february issue for black history month great story a true trailblazer no doubt about that and uh, congratulations to uh, callie martin schick for this article she is the senior historian at the national medal of honor museum i'm sure she's got a lot to share a lot to share Much like yourself, my friend, Jeff Stouffer, thank you so much for your contributions here to America's Workforce. You take care. We'll talk to you in a month, okay? All right. Great, Flash. Thank you for having me on. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Norm Warnett, on behalf of the Ohio Alliance for Retired Americans, is coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. Hey, this is Sean McGarvey, and I'm president of North America's Building Trades Unions, and I'm a proud lesser of America's workforce. I love this podcast. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google, and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, and exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. 
If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org is the website. Let's go to Columbus, Ohio and join Norm Wernett. Norm is filling in for Rich Fiesta today. Norm is the president of the Ohio Alliance for Retired Americans. Still, national website is appropriate, retiredamericans.org. They're about 4 million strong. Norm is here to talk about raising the retirement age, but first, something that is a privy to the state of Ohio, and that's, uh, well, Jerry, well, there's a lot of states that are gerrymandering, but there's a possibility of a new ballot measure that, well, hopefully it'll be on the November ballot that will deal with this. Norm, welcome back to the show. Talk to me about this uh, redistricting commission amendment that we hope to be on the November ballot. It's all yours, brother. Well, I'm, I'm very glad to be with you all again. Uh, here in Ohio, we've experienced over the last year the legislature just basically saying, we don't care about the will of the people. Um, we we fought three different ballot measures, all of which the legislature and the executives opposed. Um, so it, it leads to the conclusion that politicians, the way we have structured our districts for electing them, have been picking their voters rather than the voters picking the politicians. Uh, that's a simple way of sort of framing where we are now. Um, a, a bipartisan group uh, has, after the debacle of redistricting that just, we, we just went through, where the Supreme Court of the state of Ohio ruled that the districts were multiple times unconstitutional, illegal, they didn't follow the will of the people, um, and and uh, and then um, a, a change in the Supreme Court, a partisan change, made that uh, the law of the land. Unfortunately, those districts uh, allow uh, somebody like a Matt Huffman to run roughshod over his entire uh, Senate here in the in Ohio. So the bipartisan group said, let's create a way to get politicians out of the process. It's a very simple phrase that we're using, citizens, not politicians, for redistricting. Fair districts can be created by a 15-person commission. We'll, we'll learn more about it as the campaign goes forward. But the alliance is joining with our, our brothers and sisters in the labor movement throughout the state, um, picking up signatures, asking people to vote for this, and getting signatures on a petition. We're in a petition drive just like we were back in 2011 with Senate Bill 8 
or Senate Bill uh, 5, um, to get rid of uh, this gerrymandering uh, practice here in the state and make our districts representative of the people who live near and, and associate with one another. Um, and, and very simply, we're going to get that on the ballot in November. We have between now and July the 3rd to collect the signatures, and then we'll start the campaign itself uh, for the ballot in, in, in November. It's, it's really the, the interesting thing about this is the former Chief Justice of the, United, of the uh, Ohio Supreme Court uh, decided that she was going to actually take charge and be part of the process to bring this to us all. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, and she brings a lot of credibility. She is a conservative. There is no qualm about, nobody can debate about where she stands politically. But she alone has said, and I think this is an actual quote, in Ohio, we make laws to discourage people from voting. We don't want people to vote. That's the way our laws have been structured. And she's in the business right now of changing that so that we all participate fairly in the election process. That's what the alliance is up to right now here in Ohio uh, in, in terms of sort of the on-the-ground campaign, talking with our friends and neighbors and getting people to sign petitions and then turning those petitions in so they can be verified uh, up front uh, because we want everybody to have a fair shot at mm-hmm. electing those who will represent them in the legislature and in Congress. Maureen O'Connor was the uh, chief justice. She was aged out of that position. And, uh, yeah, she's the driving force on this. And she is a common-sense conservative. There's no doubt about that. We want people to vote. We should encourage people to vote, not do uh, what, what's been going on here for a number of years. Let's switch gears here. I want to talk about uh, raising the retirement age. There's a number of candidates running for the White House that, well, Nikki, Nikki Haley, for one, what does she want to raise the age to 70? Is that right? That's what she said in the Iowa debate, um, what was it, uh, last week, uh, against Ron DeSantis. Uh, and she's, you know, every time you raise the age a year, people lose 20% of their benefits. That is, over a lifetime, you don't have um, the ability to, to recoup that money. Um, so it also means that in order to get, so if you retire at 62, there's a significant amount of money you lose each every and every year mm-hmm. uh, that you had earned. Um, the unfortunate thing right now is most people who are retiring are not retiring because they doing volu- they're doing it voluntarily. They're retiring because they've been forced out of the economy. COVID put a lot of people out. Age discrimination is a, is a very real thing here uh, in the United States. So when a company says, okay, we're going to close, and you're at 59, and you struggle to, to make it to 62 when you can take your Social Security benefits, you're, you're actually cutting the ability to live uh, into your 80s. Um, that's, that just seems to be criminal. 
Uh, it seems to be backward. There are easy, easier solutions uh, to the issues. We have, since 1983, what is that, 40 years now, mm-hmm. uh, seen uh, people like Elon Musk, um, old Jack, Jeff Bezos, not pay their fair share in. Had those folks paid their fair share in because of the cap that they have, um, they they only pay, for instance, in Musk or uh, Bezos's uh, case, probably the first hour of of, of the year, they've right. capped out. What is it, one hundred and sixty thousand dollars this year? Something like that. Uh, against their billions that they actually earn in wages, um, let alone whatever their stock and and other Cayman Island uh, accounts get them. We don't fairly get that boost into Social Security. And so this argument about raising the age uh, just is not just bogus. It, 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 it is very harmful to the economy because every one of us who retires uses that Social Security money to, to pay our rents uh, or our, pay off our mortgages, to buy food, to buy clothing, to, to help raise our grandkids, to uh, volunteer in the, in the, in the community, mm-hmm. um, and maybe, maybe get a little entertainment out of it uh, along, yeah. along the way. Yeah. Uh, it, it's almost as if uh, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and uh, the former president all believe that uh, those of us who retire uh, should be just discounted and gotten ra- away with. Um, you know, th- that's a thinking that went back uh, into the 1940s uh, in, in Germany, uh, that those who are weak uh, should be eliminated. And that's not what happens in America, because those of us who retire actually are a significant portion of the economy. We also are 25%, at least here in Ohio, we are the 25% who own uh, of, of all homeowners in the state of Ohio. So we're the ones who are supporting very significantly our school systems, the police and fire, through levies that we pay in our property taxes. That's where the Social Security money goes. Well said, my man. Norm Warnett, president of the Ohio Alliance for Retired Americans. Do check them out on the national website, retiredamericans.org. And they've got ratings on the people that uh, Norm was talking about on how they vote on issues like Social Security. So do check that out. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, the Texas AFL-CIO and the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.